And we talked about dependence. What are we depending on? We talked about that last week, about the different things that, that the world tells us and friends tell us that we need to depend on. And, and Ben Franklin, of course, said it best, that the only two th things you can depend on in life are what? Death and taxes. That's in the world perspective, but we know that we can depend on Christ. So today, today we're going to look at what I think is one of the key elements, and actually sports psychologists would tell you this, one of the key elements to winning, to winning, and that is a thing called attitude. Attitude, right? Somebody once told you that, you got attitude, girl, right? You got attitude. But what makes or breaks things in life is often a simple thing called attitude. It, it, it depends on how you things. It makes you see things in different ways. For example, we have a couple cartoons here that'll kind of make you laugh a little bit. So if you're in a prison of some sort, what are you going to paint? Do you paint what you see outside, or do you paint the bars themselves? You know, two different uh, versions, two different attitudes, but the same picture. And what about this one? What's your rescue? It's the boat coming to rescue you, or is it the land that you've been beholding, right? Two different perspectives, two different attitudes. It changes how you see things. And so uh, it's amazing because, I don't know if you've seen this in life, I've seen this, but you can have like two different people who can face the same challenge, and they can have like three completely different reactions to it. It's amazing. And our tendency, we find, is that we have a default. Each of and every one of us has a default when we face something uncertain, some kind of challenge. We have a default attitude that emerges in us. So the, the one of three. So the first might be a defeated attitude. What is that? Well, it means that, like, you're never good enough. Here we go again. You know, it's hard to receive compliments, always criticizing, seeing that, the, you know, nothing good is going to come again. Uh, second is that attitude of indifference. You just to say, okay, I'm facing this, just can't wait to get through it. You know, glad it's over, checking the box, I can't wait for that to be done. And then the third is an attitude of having arrived, uh, kind of that proud or that good feeling to say, okay, well, give myself a pat on the back that I achieved this, I was able to get through it, I can do this all on my own. And those are kind of our defaults that we, one of us, you could probably see yourself in one of those that you tend to go to when something happens. And that tells us, though, that our attitude matters. Our attitude matters. It can make a big difference in a sports match. It can make a big difference whether you're running a race. It can make a big difference in a, in a wrestling competition or even in, in soccer or the upcoming football season. It can make a difference in our accomplishments and our goals, but also, believe it or not, in our faith, in our faith. And so we see in, in Scripture, we see this guy, the Apostle Paul, who is a guy that very easily he could have had an attitude to say he arrived, right? Default number three. Very easily. And we talked about that last week. In Philippians, the beginning chap a chapter of Philippians in th chapter 3, we, we showed how he had the right family. He had an Ivy League education. He was called by God. He had a high standing. He had a charismatic personality. He was an entrepreneur that, that began to start all these churches. He was gifted for ministry. And actually, the Gentile church owes much of, his, of its existence to his ministry. He could have taken an attitude that he had arrived spiritually. So think about that for a minute. What can contribute 
to somebody taking that attitude today that they have arrived. I mean, you know somebody like this. You know, it's hard for us to see it in ourselves, but you know somebody like this, somebody that looks like they have it all together, they don't need to grow in church. You know, maybe it's someone that has been in church their entire life. They don't remember a time that maybe they were in the cradle and their mom or dad drugged them to church. Somebody that, that has scripture memorized, right? You're going through a tough time and they're like, oh, that reminds me of Proviticus 24, right? And you're like, what, where's that in the Bible, right? And the, Proviticus actually isn't a book, by the way. But, um, but, but it's somebody that, you know, has a, their spiritual gifts inventory. They know the Christianese lingo. They can speak a different language. Um, and, and maybe they're even counting down the days until Jesus returns and they're twiddling their thumbs for that. Somebody that feels like they have arrived spiritually. But looking back at Paul, equally, it's interesting, looking back at Paul's circumstances, especially as he's writing the book of Philippians, Paul also could have not just taken the arrived attitude, but he could have taken a defeated attitude at the same time. Why? Well, he had some pretty bad luck here. He had some bad years. Sometimes he was trying to do things right, and people weren't following him. People weren't listening to him. People turned on him. They stabbed him in the back, not literally. But he, he went, underwent a corrupt trial and imprisonment. He was under house arrest. He was awaiting execution. Really, really bad days here. And we think about what can contribute to somebody taking a defeated attitude today. We know people like that, who the universe is after them. There's this ongoing guilt that is just on their shoulders. Maybe something that's happened to them in the past. Maybe it was that, that voice of, of that parent or that guardian again and again telling them that they could never do anything right. A defeated attitude. But yet, looking at Paul, his attitude was neither of these. Neither attitude did he express. Instead, rather, his attitude was a God-honoring attitude, one that was not defeated but was not yet completed, a kind of place that, that takes us in the middle. It's a balance between that arrived and defeated but saying, okay, I'm not defeated, but I'm also not completed. I haven't reached the end. I haven't arrived yet, that I'm still in process. And so today, today we're going to look at his playbook here on how this attitude comes about. So while he's in chains, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church, who of course is in some hard times of its own. And these are a group of underdogs, people that are facing persecution. They're being told to worship the emperor. And yet, Paul shares with them how to cultivate a winning attitude anywhere. So ready? Here we go. An underdog's attitude. First, Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, shows us an underdog's attitude presses on for the prize. This is like one of my favorite scriptures, by the way. I don't know if you have like a favorite Bible verse or that kind of thing, but this is one for me. So let's look at this, at this um, what Paul has to say. Now, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, what does he do? Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
So it's an attitude that presses on towards the prize. Um, a number of years back, I had a running injury that that disabled me from running for a period of about, about three years or so. And I decided at one point it was safe to finally get back into running. It was a hip injury. I had a, a stress fracture. And um, I finally got back into running. And um, I tell you, I don't know if you've ever tried to like start running, but it's really hard. Um, <laughs> it, it, I've been told by numerous people in our congregation to say, if you see me running, you better start running too. Um, there's probably something out chasing me, um, but we're still going to get a couple of you doing a f your first 5K. But anyway, back to the story. So I was uh, getting ready to start running again. And I was doing kind of the run-walk thing, like, you know, run a minute, walk a minute. It was like 10 minutes, right? Like that, like I am, I went from, from feeling like I'm going to die to over a period of a couple weeks and even into a couple months to feeling like, well, this is not comfortable, but I'm not going to die. Like, that's kind of the, the continuum there, is from I feel like I'm going to die to mm, I'm not going to die, but I'm still hurting. That's the, all the joys of running right there. But, but the thing is, I had to keep doing it. I had to go out there every day or every other day, and I had to do my little run-walk thing, even though it was painful, even though I'm waiting for my watch to tick down. You need to put in the work to achieve the win. You have to put in the work for the win. And get this, if you're not willing to work for the win, all you got is a wish. Let me say that again. If you're not willing to work for the win, all you got is a wish. So Paul says here, look, with all I've accomplished, it's so e it would have been so easy for him to be complacent. You know, it's very easy for us to think, you know, my story is finished. This is too hard. It, it's, it's too painful. I get, can't get through this. But Paul says, I of all people, I haven't arrived yet, even though I've achieved all these things, so neither have you. Neither have you. Think about it. He's been in ministry for like 20 plus years. He's written half of the New Testament. He started a dozen churches, but he writes, and yet he says his attitude is this. It's not giving up. It's pressing on. It's keep going forward. And so the imagery he uses here is that athlete, a runner, running a race. A runner who runs in the race who keeps focused on what? He keeps focused on the finish line, on what's ahead, right? He talks about what's ahead. That the finish line is seeking more and more of Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus. But of course, there's things that get in the way of that. There's things that get in the way of that, and, and he shows us. He says in verse 13, but one thing I do. What does he say? What's the number there? One. One thing I do. I focus on one thing. Some of y'all are focused on a million things. You're focused, focused, focused. He says, I focus on one thing. Focus. He says, I can see the prize. I can see the goal up ahead, and I'm running after it. What, think about that. What, what's one thing? What's a starting point for you? And, and it may not be that, uh, the, that 5K race, but it may be a, just a one step, that one thing that you need to do over and over and over again, even though it's hard to press on for the prize. But the other thing that gets in the way is not just the striving ahead, but that we failed to forget. We fail to forget. Paul says at the end of verse 13, forget what is what? Behind. Forget what is behind. 
In the words of Timon from The Lion King, put your behind in your past. Or in your pants, one of the two. But the enemy wants us to replay over and over all the ways we messed up, right? Maybe you have social anxiety and you tried to have a conversation with somebody and, you know, things didn't quite turn out as you like. And you go and you just like beat yourself up over and over and over again. Or maybe, maybe you were in a situation of, of abuse and, and you're fearful of other people getting close to anybody. Or maybe it was from a divorce or a regret in your life, a decision you made that you stepped into. But you can also, believe, this or, believe it or not, you can also get stuck in the good things. Some of us get stuck in play, replaying the past and it's almost like we're still living there. We, we relive the good old days. You know, I have some high school buddies that I talk to on occasion and here I am, like, uh, I don't know how many years now, a couple decades, like, out of high school. And they're still, like, replaying all the things that had happened. It's almost like they, I mean, it's good to remember that stuff, but it's almost like they never moved on. See, when we replay that kind of stuff, our, our potential is, is not found in our past. Of course, we have to acknowledge our past. That's important to do, to process through it. Your past contributed to where you are now, but that doesn't mean that we need to keep looking back. Anybody that's learned to drive knows that if you're trying to, to drive the road in front of you, you can't drive by looking at the rear view the entire time. It doesn't work well. But the other thing that gets in the way is that we're scared often to strain. He says strain, right? Strain towards what is ahead. We're scared to strain. Straining toward in the, in the Greek that Paul used here is epikineo. Epikineo is meaning stretching out or reaching, and that's where the, the, picture, the picture comes in. So this was from our USA athlete, um, bronze medal winner Paul Chalimo. This was from the just recent Olympics. He got bronze because he beat the next guy by 0.12 seconds by this move here. Reaching towards, this is the exact metaphor that Paul is using here, where a runner would intentionally reach out towards the wind, hands stretched out, their eyes fastened upon that finish line behind achieving that. Are you reaching? Are you reaching? Are, are we reaching? Do, do we need God at all? Or can we just have something that we're aiming for that we know that we can achieve? Are we currently doing anything that requires divine intervention? Or are we settling with what we know that we don't have to strain for? So think about that. Where do you need to just press on? To say, Christ is not finished here. He's not finished here with me or with us. That Christ still has something more for us to learn, to grow, to become. And this is regardless of age, guys. It doesn't matter if you're in high school or if you're retired. That, that this is not an age thing, but to say that there's something more for me. There's something more to become in Christ-likeness. And it doesn't matter how long or how short you've gone to church or that you've even placed your faith in Christ. Maybe if you're at the beginning of your journey versus have been journeying with Jesus for a while. To say, I'm not defeated, but I'm not yet completed. But then we also see another important part of an underdog's attitude, and that is that it embraces the process, not perfectionism. Embraces the process, not perfectionism. So let's look at verses 15 to 16. He continues and says, All of us then who are perfect, we're going to come back to that word, perfect, should take such a view of things. 
And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So perfect. So first off, let's look at the word perfectionist. So just let's be honest here. How many of you guys would say you are, have some kind of perfectionism in your blood that, that you achieve for perfection? There's many of us that do. I put my hand up there. And statistics show this is not delightful news, but you have a 51% greater chance of dying before age 65. So if you're past there, you're good, I guess. I don't know. So, but, but think about it. How would you define perfectionist? Perfectionist. You know, it's basically a generalized pursuit of perfection in all areas of life, even to the point of your own detriment, even to the point that you're, you're depriving yourself of your sanity, your health, maybe your family, to the point that you're, you're so focused. But this is something different that Paul's talking about. He's not saying perfectionist. He's also not saying our usual meaning of the word perfect, which usually means faultless. To say something is, is perfect and it's, there's no fault about it. See, perfect in Scripture, in the way Paul is using it here, is not perfectionist, but it's also not faultless. So what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, the Greek word per, for perfect is this word teleoi, teleoi. And it actually means mature. It means complete. It means perfect in purpose. It doesn't mean faultless, that you have no thing that you ever do wrong. It, it, it means that you are doing what you were created to do. So say, for instance, the stool, right? Is this stool perfect? What would you say? Is it completely faultless in that sense? I'd say, no, there's a couple scratches, which I, maybe your previous pastor, who knows? Let's see, y'all chuckle. But is this perfect? I would say it is. Why? Because its purpose is to sit. It's achieving its purpose. That's what Paul is pointing here. All of us who are perfect, who have found our, perfect, our, our, our purpose in Christ should take such a view of things. You know, you might be familiar with a song um, by Ed Sheeran. It's one of my favorites. I'm going to butcher that in a minute. I'm going to ask you to sing along with me. You might, might know this. Um, and so I'm going to ask you at the end of, if you know the song, I'm, I, I already asked the worship team if you would sing because I'm terrible. You're going to find that out in a minute. But um, if you would sing the last word that he says, um, because you are perfect, um, if you would sing the word teleoi, which is the Greek word, we're going to butcher uh, Ed Sheeran's lyrics here in a, in a second. So think perfect in purpose, not necessarily faultless. So go ahead and play that. Thank you, Ed Sheeran. There we go. You will never hear that song the same way again. Teleoi, you're going to know the Greek now. But I think he was, I honestly think Ed Sheeran, when he was writing that, he wasn't saying that like this lady is, is per perfect. You know, maybe she had some zits, who knows. But she was perfect because she served her, his, his purpose. It was, it's about purpose. 
That's what it means. Whenever you see perfect in the Bible, it's not faultness, but completeness. And that's God's wish for each and every one of us, that we would be complete in Christ. We're still going to make mistakes and mess up, but to, to have that same attitude as Paul, living in and out of this thing called grace. Where are you in that process? See, Paul is saying the perfect Christian is not one who rests on accomplishments. It's not an attitude that I beat myself up over every single thing that happens, that I'm not there yet, but to acknowledge to say, yes, I'm not there, but I'm not giving up. I'm in process. And, and you and I both know that, that there's some of us who have, have not grown up necessarily. To say maybe, maybe you know, you've been in this kind of steady state in the process, that you haven't grown in your, your devotion to Christ, you haven't grown in your Christlikeness, never even discipled anyone, you know, let alone lead somebody to Christ, but to say, you know, investing in someone. That's all part of the process, too. It's not like we reach that arrived point and we say, okay, I'm good to go, I'm going to heaven, that's it, I'm done. No, there's more in the process. See, there's also some folks, too, that I know are deadly, have said yes to God over and over, have taken those little steps to say, I'm stepping out, Lord, here, help me in this. I'm stepping out. I'm, I'm inviting. I'm investing. See, if you've ever been to the U.S. Olympic Training Center, if you've ever taken a tour there, you see that there's a sign on the door above the dining hall and the gym and all these other areas, and this is what it says. It's not every four years, it's every day. It's the same thing of us spiritually. The same thing of us spiritually. To persevere in our faith. It's not perfectionism, it's embracing the process. So think, where are you in the process? Have you been stagnant in your faith for a while? Have you been just sitting there to say, okay, well, I know Jesus and I come to church and, and, and that seems to be it. Guess what? There's more, guys. There's more. Well, what could that look like? It might mean being a part of a, of a table group. It might mean asking to say, hey, how can I become involved here in church? It might mean to say, hey, you know what? I have a bunch of coworkers at work, and I, wanna, I, I sense that God is calling me to do something there. And what does that look like? Or I see, see this need in my neighborhood. See, we're all at a different place in the process. However, as individuals and as a community, we're called to press on and pursue Christ. But looking ahead, we see that, that Paul concludes this section, verses 17 through 21, by a, the last piece here of that winning attitude. And he says, join together, remember that word together, together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model Keep your eyes on those who live as we do, for, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies as the cross of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And there's so much to unpack, unpack here, but we're gonna take one perspective, is that, that this attitude, this winning attitude of an underdog is cultivated by being around winning people. 
being around winning people. And, and I'm not saying people that have all the trophies and have it like, like they look like they're all together. But spiritually, people that will be an influence on you to help you grow. If you've ever gone back to the gym, maybe at New Year's time, maybe at a certain time when the doctor told you you needed to, um, you started out at a point, you know, you're kind of establishing that baseline. But often people are told to either go to the gym or you go to the gym, not because of the absolute workout, maybe because of the machines that are there or the classes that are offered, but it usually has something to do with the people, with being surrounded by other people especially when they're all sizes and shapes and ages. And it just, it makes you feel better to say, okay, I'm starting here, but, but I'm surrounded by others. And statistics show, studies have said that each and every one of us is the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Isn't that interesting? That it's cultivated by being around people that will have that influence. And so Paul gives them that, that example here. He says, first, this is how you walk. He says, follow my example, verse 17. Follow my example. Isn't that where the best learning happens when you're walking alongside somebody learning? Maybe you're in a career or profession that you had an apprenticeship. And, and for that period of time, you learned a, a certain work. You learned how to do plumbing or, a skilled, or skilled labor. And that was where it, you couldn't have read that in a book. You couldn't have watched the PowerPoint presentation. That's where the best learning happens, when we are side by side together. And, and I know around here in Pennsylvania is known for where we get snow, I've, I've been told, we'll find out, um, sometimes. And, um, and especially, I know this past winter was especially um, uh, snow-worthy. But, but isn't it interesting that, say, you, know, you get 6, 12 inches, say, and you need to go out to the mailbox or just get to the end of your, your driveway on the street. Isn't it always easier to walk in someone else's steps than to make your own? That's the same thing for us spiritually. To say where someone else has tread before, to follow them, it doesn't mean that I duplicate every single thing that they are. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to be the same person. But Paul's saying here, follow in my tracks. Walk the way I am. Surround yourself with community, with others who are where you want to be. And that's why we have church, guys. We're not meant to do life alone. We need one another. And so... Paul then gives a warning, of course. He says, this is how you walk, follow my example. But then he says, if you, it, it, another decision is to follow the world's example. Many walk in their own way, he says in verses 18 through 19. Attitude of arrogance, who are after themselves, a lone ranger. You know, they're, they're not evil people per se, but they're, but they're after things that, that can be damaging, and isn't it interesting, the most damaging attitude can be an arrogant attitude that we have everything figured out and we have nothing left to learn. If you've ever taken uh, your own detour around a wreck, say you're driving and all of a sudden there's flashing lights ahead and there's traffic backed up, you know, you and I have done, I've done this before. You kind of like take a turn off and then you try to remember like, okay, where does this actually cut through. Has it ever happened for you that you ended up at a dead end? It has for me, especially around here. I turned and like all of a sudden I'm at the end of like a cul-de-sac and it's like, whoa, okay, now I go back around. But that's, all, that's what happens 
When, when we look at everybody else and what everybody else is doing and they're saying, okay, I'm just going to follow that and follow their instructions, we land at a dead end. But we're called to press on, not to escape the world, but instead to initiate a taste of the new kingdom that Jesus has begun. And we need each other to do that. We need each other. And that's the attitude that Paul is sharing with us to say it is possible to cultivate a winning attitude, but it's one that is not defeated, but it's also not completed. Are you there? Are you there? You know, here's the deal that when we feel like we have arrived, that's a very dangerous place to be. I know it is in work, but it's also in spiritually. And, and, and feeling defeated can be debilitating. It can be paralyzing. It can hold you back from fulfilling uh, the, the purpose that God has for you. But a winning attitude, one of an underdog, presses on and runs the race towards the finish line. The attitude of Christ is what shows up in how we treat one another, what we say, what we post, how we, we view our and our families and our lives. And that's why we're called to embrace the process, to check our attitude, to know that we're not defeated, but God's still allowing us to be completed. And as a people in process, as, as recipients of God's grace, we know that his grace is enough. And that when we mess up, when we realize that, hey, you know what, I, I, I didn't quite uh, make it here in this area, you look back and you have regrets and you're scared to move forward, to know that God's grace is sufficient. Because Jesus, Jesus came and was one of us. You know, God doesn't ask us to do anything that Jesus didn't step into, that Jesus wasn't called to do. It's an amazing thing that he knows what it's like to, to, to suffer. He knows what it's like to have people uh, turn on him. He knows what it's like to, to be, have, have people coming after him, pursuing him. He knows what it's like also to share in the joys around a table. And that's our name, right? That's our name, Table Life Church here. And, and part of our, our worship together is that we share in this uh, every week, but that this isn't a religious practice. This is a response that, that we know that, that the words that Paul has shared with us to say, you know, there's a sense of, of that Christian perfection. Lord, I desire that perfection and purpose, Lord, to say, Lord, I come forward and I know it's not through my power that I, I achieve that, but it's rather through receiving that I am allowed to experience the fullness of your power. And so we gather around this table to remember God's grace in our lives, to, to look back on what Jesus has done for us 2,000 years ago, but also what is ahead. And so we know that when we approach this table as broken and as fallen people, we come with all of our stuff, we lay it before the Lord, and we know we are forgiven. Hear those words. You are forgiven. Receive that. You are forgiven. And as Jesus gathered around that table with his disciples, I imagine that they were reflecting on all the times that they had shared with him. We too bring our memories alongside to remember the time when we first accepted Jesus, to say that was the time when I you know, experienced his grace for the first time and we celebrate that today. 
but we also learn from his instructions. And one of them was to pray. And so together, we'll join in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.